0: It's a Cole world after all. 15 strikeouts from Garrett Cole gave the Yankees a much needed win to avoid a sweep and snap their four game losing streak. How good are we feeling about Cole in a one game playoff? Do the Yankees need to play more small ball? How will Glaber Torres fit in when he returns this weekend? Our special guest this week is my co host, Jeff Nelson, as he tells us about a crazy 1998 post World Series celebration. going to want to stick around for that. Plenty of celebrations here. It's a celebration. Next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post.
1: All right, here's a Pinstripe Pod. New York Post. All right, here come Pinstripe Pod.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with my co-host, four-time Yankees World Series champion, Jeff Nelson. You'll hear our thumbs up Met fan producer, Jake Brown, as well during the show. Follow us all on Twitter, at Chris Sheeran, yes, at NYNelly43 and at Jake Brown Radio. Of course, we'll welcome in Jake in our second segment and we'll talk about his Mets and their meteoric rise to the top of the NL East, hint, hint, cough, cough, (laughs) joke, joke. But first we have to talk about uh, the New York Yankees. They ended their four game losing streak, Nelly, and every fifth day, it's really beneficial to have a guy like Garrett Cole on the mound who can go out there and completely stifle the opposition and whiff 15 guys and say, uh, hey, losing streak, sayonara, peace out. No,
2: that's what, you, that's what you're supposed to do if you're an ace, right? I, you know, you end end losing streaks and continue winning streaks. Yeah, he was dominant, obviously. I mean, they were going to get swept by the Angels. I mean, the Angels aren't a, a terrible team. They were close to 500. They are not going to the postseason, obviously. But, you know, what he did, you know, I was watching some highlights on what he did to Otani. Oh, my goodness. I mean, his fastball was electric. You know, I watch Otani, and I watch him swing. Obviously, him being in California and playing for the Angels, you don't get to see him too often. I mean, what he's done this season has been amazing both on the mound and at the plate. But, you know, you, I can't believe how much he pulls off the ball. Every fastball, I mean, he was just – Cole was just pounding the outside part of the plate and constantly pulling off the ball – And, and, you know, maybe that's what he's done all year and he's guys are pitching him inside or he's getting balls out over the middle plate and just crushing them. But it it seems to me you could live on the outside part of the plate and he couldn't even touch you.
0: Yeah, I I really hope that this team, because what we saw during the uh, 13 game winning streak, Nelly, was something that we didn't see. All season long while the Yankees were scuffling this stat when I was at the stadium doing the first couple games of the Angels series, the second game of the Angels series was unbelievable. And actually, when I asked Anthony Rizzo after the game his his eyes got big and said, wow, when I gave him this, they had four grounded into double plays the entire 13 game winning streak within seven innings. Of game two against the Angels, they had five. I really hope, you know, the close games that they're playing throughout the season, they have close to 75 games that are decided by one or two runs. I hope they're realizing that you have to kind of switch it up and you can't grind your bat into sawdust and swing from your rear end when you have two strikes in the postseason. You can't wait for the three-run homer. If you're down a run, manufacture that run to tie it up. I know Yankee fans sit there all the time, Nellie, and say, no, we want to hit a two-run homer and take the lead. Okay, so you'd rather have a guy swing from his ass, strike out, not get that runner over, not get the run home, and not tie it up to put some pressure on the other team. You'd rather have everybody just swing for the fence I just hope that what we're seeing here during the winning streak and towards the end of the season, I hope that continues into September, not obviously the four-game losing streak that we just saw, but the the different ways they were finding to win those games during the 13-game winning streak. There were comebacks. There were nail biters and they figured out a way. There are only a couple games they won by more than two runs. So I, I just hope, Nelly, as they go down the stretch here in September and they hopefully get into the postseason, because nothing is guaranteed, that they've learned that this kind of baseball is the kind of baseball that's going to help them potentially make a deep run in the October.
2: Yeah, you hope so. You know, I talked about it on Monday, and you just mentioned about moving the runner over and doing, doing some of the little things to keep a winning streak going. The computer analytics is great. I mean, you know, in some parts, you know, you take a little bit of it. Information is good. Information, there's so much information now, but analytics doesn't measure the pressure it puts on other teams. You can't spit out information and say, "Oh, this guy is feeling this way." I mean, how do you know? And and that's that's why all these analytical people that think, "Oh, this is we shouldn't be doing this or shouldn't be giving it out away. You got to swing hard, you got to uppercut, launch angle, all this other stuff." It doesn't measure the mental part of the game. And I, analytics to, and people that are so high on that, they don't realize that how much sports in general is such a mental part and plays a mental part in the game. And the pressures having a guy on first, a speedster on first, what's it do to the defense? What's it do for the catcher? What's it do for the pitcher? You know, you got to have a guy on second base, and I mean, you, you think the pitcher is not feeling pressure, or he comes in with second and third with less than two outs, you don't think he's thinking about, oh, I got to make a perfect pitch here, or all of a sudden I'm going to give up a run. I mean, everything starts going going through people's heads in certain situations and analytics don't measure that. And when you're put constantly putting pressure on the other team, mentally, you can succeed a lot easier. It doesn't take, Hey, I got to hit, you know, I got to swing out of my butt. O2 all the time. How about putting the ball in play? How about getting the runner over? How about bunting on occasion? You know, I watched the Mets and, you know, because I covered them in that double, well, so-called doubleheader, the suspended game. And, you know, that ninth inning, they were putting a lot of pressure on the defense of the Marlins. And it's not just, and it's the mental part that plays a part in winning games most of the time. I mean, you look at Nimmo, and I hate to talk about the Mets, but at least he bunts. He had a bunt down the line in the ninth inning, well, he hit the home run of the night, but during the game. And it puts pressure on teams. I mean, you have a fast runner on the base and it takes extra bases. You look what Javi Baez. Yes, he got booed for his stupid comments. But he won that game because the third base coach didn't wave him around in that ninth inning. He went on his own. He's a smart baseball player. He's a risky baseball player. Most of the time, things work out for him. And and it, it works out because he'll do. he doesn't care about... You know, he'll make dumb comments and stick his foot in his mouth, but then he'll go and win you a game on that way just by that run. I mean, the third base coach had his hands in his pocket and had no idea what he was doing, but Bias saw that the left fielder made a mistake. He says, screw it. I'm taking a freaking extra base. And that's what the Yankees do during this 13-game winning streak. They put pressure. They're going first to third. They're scoring from first. And it's funny as, oh, everybody goes up in arms, and here we go again when they lose four in a row. But that's baseball. This this is what happens. It's just unfortunate that you have a team that's in front of you that are playing just as good and you're not gaining any (laughs) ground. And that's the frustrating
1: (laughs) part.
0: Yeah. I mean, the Rays, I I didn't want to stop you during that rip because everything you said, I agree with a hundred percent. And when the Yankees played Minnesota back on the 21st of August, they were on Fox and John Smoltz did that game as the analyst. And Anthony Rizzo was up, and, and I just wanted to highlight the point you just made about putting pressure on the other team, Jeff. And I just couldn't agree with you, and I couldn't agree with what Smoltz said more. Anthony Rizzo was up, and he had a ground ball to the shortstop side of second base they had him shifted so the third baseman was there but because of the angle he had to take to get to the ball and maybe the ball had a little bit of a spin on it the way he hit it off the end of the bat he couldn't get a good grip on the baseball and Rizzo beat it out now look Rizzo isn't a speedster by any means but Smoltz made the point after that hit that see this is where I can't stand when guys say I'd rather strike out then put the ball in play especially when there's a runner on base because I don't want to ground into a double play but he said especially in the postseason you want to put pressure on the defense if you strike out there's no pressure on the defense if you put the ball into play they have to make the play make the outfielder make the throw make them make a decision That's all my life. That's all it's been with baseball. Put pressure on the defense. Put the ball in play. You never know what's going to happen. And it all boiled down to that one at bat by Rizzo and Smoltz saying that. So that whole rip you just went through, I mean – I couldn't agree with you more, and I hope the Yankees, like I said earlier, are learning that there's different ways to win baseball games than hitting nine-run homers. I get it. They're the Bronx Bombers. They're not the Bronx Bunters. I'm not asking Giancarlo Stanton to lay a bunt down. I'm not asking Aaron Judge to lay a bunt down. I know that's not their job. And you're right. Analytics, they play a huge role in the game, but they can't overtake what baseball is at its core. And for the most part, and I know we keep going back to what Joe Torre said about making an imperfect game perfect, but it bears repeating. If we have to do it every damn podcast, we have to do it every damn podcast. So it gets through these people's heads. It's not perfect. You can't make this game perfect. And like you said, Jeff, I've been saying it since analytics has been a thing. You cannot measure The mental game of an individual. That's why in baseball, the head guy in the dugout, he isn't called a coach. He's called a manager. He's got to manage 26 different personalities. And you hope that they all kind of mesh and fall into into one, and there's no clicks in the clubhouse or whatever. He has to manage all of that. He's managing the mental aspect. If he has to sit a guy because of what the computer says, he has to bring that guy into his office. It, just for example, Luke Voigt. I mean, the guy was sitting close to 500, and he's finding himself on the bench because listen, it's the right thing because Rizzo's your guy at first base. You don't want to put Luke Voigt out there. You want the defense to be solid. And that's no offense to Luke, but you're taking a guy who came back from from the IL Jeff and he hit almost 500 over like seven or eight games and he's sitting on the bench for crying out loud I mean we say it all the time it's a good problem to have but I- I'm going to move on from the analytics because isn't love- it
1: amazing Susan oh how God. no one can lay down a bun in today's <laughs> game of baseball it's truly amazing stuff the yes. small ball here's the thing that you're talking about the Met game Tuesday they were also hitting the ball the other way and that's something that we just never see you know Dom Smith and, and Nimmo and, and Conforto's game-winning hit all went to left field and it's like the simplest of things of hitting it against the shift we're not seeing and I talk with Figgy about bunts all the time, how no one can lay down a bunt, something that the only thing I did in Little League was try to bunt. And it's it seems so simple, and guys don't shock. do it. So it's it's hurting the game. Yeah, never worked. I was too fat to beat out a, a bunt single. But, Nelly, we, your, your era saw so many great bunters and so many guys that can move guys over, and I, I wish we saw more of it.
2: Well, I mean, for instance, you know, when I would pitch, and that's why I hated to face the guys that you could. I mean, the power hitters were easy to easier to face because they had holes. And you could you could expose those holes on occasion. You made a mistake; they're going to make you pay. But the little guys like the Omar Viscals, the Ecksteins, those type of players. You know, when I'm facing them, they're, they're always trying to lay down a bunt. They're always like, you know what? I'm going to lay down a bunt. I'm a, I'm six six, and you know, I'm not real quick off the mound. I feel my I field my position really well because I was constantly taking ground balls almost every single day in, in spring training. Because if you're a good fielder as a pitcher, you cut about a run off of your ERA. I mean, you you could be that good. I mean, Mariano Rivera was terrific. I mean, one of the best fielders I have ever seen on on the mound. He got off so quick. But guys that are big, you look at CeCe Sabathia, who is very slow off the mound and basically i'm not getting over to first base i'm not covering first or i'm not going to field a bunt you i don't think he got exposed enough uh, you know you, you sh- they should have bunted on him it's an easy single and you're putting a guy on base and that's the same with some of these little guys when i was facing omar Vizquel, used to try to bunt on me all the time and i hated it and he was a teammate of mine in seattle and in the minor leagues but he knew that all i have to do is make a perfect bunt down the line and you know the third baseman's probably not going to get it and i'm not probably going to get it and it's a single and and you're putting a speedster that can go first to third to put pressure on the other team's defense you know i don't know why it doesn't happen well the computer's telling you it doesn't it shouldn't happen that's why it's not happening and same with stealing a base if you have a speedster that knows how to read the pitcher because you're stealing off the pitcher all the time anyway. You're not stealing off the catcher. You're stealing off the pitcher. You're getting a good jump. And it's, uh, you know, guys just don't do it. If I if I was fast, oh, I'd be stealing all the time. I played with Vince Coleman. I watched those guys. And Ricky Henderson played against him. I mean, what they do to your head and what they do to your mind, I don't care if you're strong-minded or not or strong-willed or not you always have to be careful you have to say you know what I can't lift my leg a certain I got to change my windup I got to do something different on the mound you know maybe the catcher has a terrible arm speaking of terrible arms Dominic Smith I don't know I mean, he should go to the America League and Dh because uh, he, his he's not got a, he doesn't have a great arm there uh there Jake out in
1: the <laughs> listen he's a first baseman playing left field what do you expect out there?
2: I mean, I watched those throws. The one, the one that the Mar, one of the Marlins scored, I mean, he didn't even reach third, and Dominic Smith, Smith had it. He had two
1: back to back that Dom had back-to-back. just awful back. throws. That they he should have
0: like,
2: been out by
1: a
0: mile if it was yeah. someone with a decent arm.
2: They were like dying quails. They were like, ooh. <laughs> and like, oh my goodness.
0: Oh. Uh, I wanna I wanna bring it back around to Rizzo and I wanna give our listeners some homework actually. In the game on Monday, the first game against the Angels, the first highlight in the entire rip on the MLB app, the first hit you see is Rizzo. And I I bring Rizzo up again because I watched him intently over the weekend when I was filling in for Meredith Morakovitz. And it's just such a pleasure to watch this guy hit. He's a professional hitter. Uh, He he takes what the pitcher gives him. Every time he gets two strikes, it's a two-strike approach, Nelly. How, How often do you see a guy, especially like Rizzo, choke up on the bat And just try to get on base. And this first highlight that you're going to see if you go to the app or if you go online, MLB.com, and you go to Monday's game against the Angels, the first highlight in the highlight rip is the double by Rizzo. He has an 0-2 count. He lets the pitch travel deep, and then he shoots it down the left field line for a double. You cannot define professional hitter any better than that. It was a pitcher's pitch. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. It, It had the outside corner painted. Rizzo waited for it, Nelly, and he put it right down the line. I just can't say enough about this guy. And I'm glad he's in the lineup now.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean he is hitting two forty eight. So if he didn't choke up, he'd probably be hitting two hundred. So at least at least he does that. But no, I mean he's giving himself up. He's not trying mean, he can still go deep. You know, even if, even when he's uh, choked up, he's got that kind of power. I used to watch, uh, you know, Brett Boone. You know, we Aaron's brother. You know, every time on two strikes, he would choke up a little bit and he'd say, "Okay, I'm shortening up my swing and I'm going the other way." And he had unbelievable power going the other way. So. You know, a lot of hitters would do that back in the day that, okay, you know what, I, I got to choke up just a little bit. And he was one of them. I mean, he was down on the knob when when he wasn't 0-2, and, and he would let it fly. But you know what, when he was 0-2, he's choking up a little bit. And you know what, I'm looking to shoot the ball the other way unless unless you make a mistake with a hanging breaking ball, and then I'm going to pull you. But it, it's nice to see because you he wants to take advantage of the open part or the open space on the left side of the infield. You know, you know, you, you scratch your head with that. You can go on and on with all these shifts and everything, and why guys don't do things, and you know, they don't measure the the pressures that it puts on other players. I mean, and that's never talked about either. You never hear anything on any kind of broadcast of, oh, you know what? They're not stealing a base or they're not bunting, but do they realize what kind of pressure it puts on a player? Nobody ever. See. I don't ever hear that.
1: Guys, let's move on from the small ball because I'm curious because the Yankees fan base has had a complete shift when it comes to Garrett Cole and I think you guys, too. Were you affected with the 15 strikeouts? Yes, it's the Angels, but how comfortable now are you feeling about him going into that one-game playoff when it inevitably happens because the Rays are winning this division? I mean, they have a seven-game lead. Yankees only play three more against them. Are you all in, super comfortable, cozy? Cole has seemed to turn this around. He's got comfortable without the spider tack. Are you excited to see him now in a one-game playoff after what you saw Wednesday night
0: I'm never excited to see anyone in a one-game playoff though if you think the Yankees playing close games during the regular season you're on the edge of your seat and you're biting your fingernails I don't even want to imagine what that's going to be like especially if against if it's against the Red Sox God forbid the Red Sox overtake the Yankees for the first wild card spot in this game is at Fenway Park I mean then it's a crapshoot if it's at Yankee Stadium it's a different story but even look The Red Sox have a sick lineup. They're going to be able to get all their guys back from COVID, you would think, and healthy and get them at bats before that one game playoff happens. But it's kind of (laughs) it's nerve wracking. It is. Now, look, I just said I'm in when I was walking my daughter to school, I was talking to myself on the way back. That's what I do. I'm constantly thinking about sports and I was talking to myself. So you know, talk about me however you want to talk about me after I say that. Do we
1: need a doctor? Are you okay? (laughs) But
0: but I was walking back and I was thinking to myself, you know, even if it's Cole, even if coming back from the COVID IL and and having the, the run that he's having right now, I think he's given up one run in his four starts back from the COVID IL. So he's been pretty unstoppable on the mound as you, as you would assume he should be, but Going against the Red Sox in a one game make or break playoff, Nelly. I I just, I don't care who it is. I'm going to be nervous. I mean, I'm glad. I mean, I want to roll with Cole. Uh, That should be a t shirt, by the way. I want to roll with Cole, but it's still gonna. It does. It doesn't take the nervousness away.
2: No, I agree. You know, it doesn't matter in one game playoff. Anybody should be nervous. Just if if it's Boston, and I'm sure they're going to try to throw sale if it works out that way. You know, they're going to be nervous as well. You know, Sale's been dominant in his three starts that he's he's come back from uh, off the injury list. And with Cole right now, he just, yes, he's got great stuff. He's the guy you want on the mound. You know, okay, it's the Angels. Who cares? They still, they're right around 500. They were game, what, game behind, five, I mean, off of 500 until yesterday. Now they're two games back. But you look at what he, he hasn't had, had, hasn't had great success against the Red Sox and the Rays, the two teams that you're going to wind up, having to face to get into the playoffs or get through the playoffs or advance into the playoffs. But he's the guy you want on the mound. And, you know, they don't see the race till the last three days. They do play Boston. I was a little concerned when he came off the IL and Booney wanted to give him a soft landing and he faced the Angels in that one game instead of getting him ready for the Red Sox. I would have much rather... And I think any team saying, you know what, I, I paid for this guy to be my ace, he's starting against the Red Sox. Well, that's and it, it. didn't I, happen.
0: I know he's coming off the COVID IL, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think we need to say that. I mean, he's your guy, he's your ace. I mean, everybody wants to. The, the people who pay the money, I'm sure to go he to that wanted stadium, to. I mean, yeah, I know, you no, him, I'm no, sure no, no, he this, wanted to. This has nothing to do with Garrett Cole because I could tell you he wanted to face the. No, Red he's. Sox. I mean, and he's a great guy. I mean, he's a he's
2: a great guy, and you know, he wants the ball all the time, and. Obviously, he feels when he doesn't do well, he feels it.
1: All right, guys. Well, Gl- Glaber Torres is back on Friday. What do you th- what do you see the lineup looking like? Velasquez gonna stay. Twenty eight man roster. September call ups are here. No more forty man. What do you see Torres' role? Is he gonna be back to being the everyday shortstop now? So are they keeping v- Velasquez. I mean, does anybody yes. you know? Okay. Yes,
0: he's not going anywhere. Now Scranton does play until the Yankees stop playing too so if you want to get uh him regular at bats you can send him down to Scranton Wilkes-Barre and you can get him regular at bats but with the 40 or with the 28 man roster excuse me it's the ice cream
1: truck in your room oh <laughs> my Mr. Softy in the background <laughs> what's going on
0: I told you when the phone rings the phone down here in my father-in-law's area plays the national anthem there, there's nothing I can could... do should we stand oh my gosh.
1: vanilla chocolate would you like a sparkler ice cream sandwich no eat almond it. please
0: you, you you want to keep this okay yeah, a firecracker <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, Glaber, Glaber's going to be the everyday shortstop. There's, there's no doubt about that. I'm sure the Yankees will handle him the same way they handled Gio Urshela. You know, he'll come back up, he'll play two games and then he'll sit and then Velasquez will play. But the Yankees have the option to send Velasquez back down to Scranton Wilkes-Barre. And if they want to get him regular at bats, he can go down there and they can call him back up before the postseason. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be on the postseason roster, but you definitely want to get Glaber as many at bats as you can, Nelly, I would think. I know he's been a defensive liability at shortstop, but if you could add his bat to the lineup and Gio Rochella gets right, I mean, besides Joey Gallo, where's an out in this lineup? And I say that because Michael Kay, before the second game of the series against the Angels, Gallo had 101 at bats, Nelly, 50 strikeouts with the Yankees, 101 at bats with the Yankees. And they get him another year. Men.
2: They have him another year. I know. And it's not gonna change. You know, it's not gonna change. But you know, for as far as and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know, things have changed. You know, you know, you bring up the two extra guys for September instead of adding however many you want up to 40. I thought that you had to be on the roster before September 1st to be eligible for the postseason unless there was some sort of injury. You have to be on the
0: 40-man. If you're on the 40-man by 11.59 p.m. on August 31st, you are eligible to be on the postseason roster, and Velasquez is on the 40-man. So Okay.
2: And in minor league, the minor leagues are – they can't have much longer as far as their season.
0: October third. I looked it up. Oh, the minor yeah. leagues as well? The triple Triple A Scranton Wilkesbury, uh, they play till October third. Oh, because they started late. Okay. Yes, that's okay. correct.
2: Usually it's in sep- early September now You're because right. they started but that because month. Because okay. they
0: started late, they go through October 3rd, just like the Yankees. Yeah. Their season ends the same day the Yankees' season ends. So there is that flexibility there, but there should be like a revolving door of relievers that are going to come up. Now, my only thing, Nelly and Jake, is why is Brooks Krisky back up here and Stephen Ridings isn't the substitute chemistry teacher who throws 100 and who was very impressive when he came up here? Is is down at Scranton and Brooks Krisky. I, I just don't understand like the politics that get involved with this. I, I don't know why they're maybe they're their guys and they're they're like analytically they're the pitchers they want. Their tunneling is what I mean. Can't they just look and see with their eyes? who should be up here and who shouldn't there's the eye test. There's no
2: eye test really anymore. Oh, that, that one, once analytics came back, you know, and, and got so strong, the eye test is out, you know, that anyway. doesn't, uh, that doesn't work. So Jake Greg Allen,
0: got, where are you? Greg Allen. Well, Come him back. too, him too, for crying out loud.
2: Well, Allen, you're probably not going to see him unless somebody gets hurt. He'll be on a taxi squad or something like that. And it's just, you know, you have, it means probably O'Dor is a bench player. Now you have, uh, Tyler Wade's a bench player. Luke Voigt could be, you know, he played last night, got two hits, two RBIs. But, you know, he he's more of a bench player. I mean, you're just going to, you know, your lineup again, besides Gallo and Rizzo, gets a little bit more right-handed when, when some of the like an Odor or a, a Tyler Wade is out of the lineup.
0: Yeah, I hope Artie Moreno, too, is looking at his bullpen. Because if they could construct that in a way that they can get a bridge to iglesias that guy is scary good nelly i don't, I don't know if you saw any of the late inning heroics from the angels closer over the first two games
2: iglesias with the reds i would watch him with the reds and he had nasty stuff I, i'm oh surprised my god that they...
0: he, he was unbelievable against the yankees i mean they had no shot he went through the top three guys in the Yankees lineup in the, in the first game of that series with an eight, seven lead, like he was going a hot knife going through butter. Yeah. He's good. Yeah. The stuff he has was uh, ridiculous. So Jake, we're going to step aside, take a break. When we come back here on the pinstripe pod, Mr. Jake Brown and I will pepper Nelly with some more questions about 96 about his time out in the bullpen. Maybe some stuff about the Yankees now seeing where they're going to go, how deep in the postseason that's next on the pinstripe pod from the New York post. And we're back with the same three. It's the three horsemen instead of the four horsemen. The three amigos, if you will. Jake Brown, Jeff Nelson, Chris Shearn here on the Pinstripe Pod. And uh, something I didn't ask you in our first segment that I wanted to get to, I talked about it with John Flaherty on the batting practice show last night. And that was Jamison Tyone. Because the questions during the game that started arising between Michael Kay and John Flaherty were, hey, you know, this guy has only made seven starts coming into this season the past two seasons and now that other night in Anaheim he was making his 26th start you know you've been around I know you were a reliever but you've been around starters and do you think the workload he said he was fine he said his elbow feels great there's no physical fatigue or anything but do you think making these many this many starts uh, since 2018 has anything to do with what we're seeing with him lately Well, you know, if you look, it's it's a tough, I mean, it's not a loaded question, but it's a
2: question that when I've watched, I, I don't, I'm not in the weight room with what guys do as far as preparing themselves for the season. I can only speak for what we did when we played and, you know, we ran our butt off. I mean, our strength coach ran our butt, he ran the starters butts off. And the whole idea there was getting your legs strong because everything comes off of your lower body. And once your legs are strong, then your arm doesn't get tired. You know, it'll get tired from throwing and all the repetitions, but your leg saves you. You look at you look at starters that really go deep into the game and maybe now, but back then when you had a Roger Clemens or Randy Johnson, a Pedro, uh, Andy Pettit, I mean, we had starters. I mean, these guys, their lower half, they, they were strong. I mean, even as big as David Wells was. He didn't spend a whole lot of time in the weight room, but at least he was strong enough that he was going to give you nine that he didn't, he didn't get tired. His body didn't allow him to get tired. And, you know, I've watched just being around the Marlins, you know, I've watched how they work out. There's no running at all. I never see any pitchers run. If they do, it's like three or four sprints. And that's another thing that's, that's changed is that all these strength goats, coaches think it's it's explosion let's do an explosion well you know let's run let's run short distances at high at fast speeds that's like saying baseball is a sprint i mean it's always it's never a sprint it's a marathon it's, and that's exactly what pitching is it's a marathon season and you have to prepare yourself for the 26 to 33 to 35 starts for me i have to prepare myself for 65 to 75 to 80 appearances out of the bullpen and it's not just your arm it's your whole body and especially your lower half. You look at Tyone and his lower half, he's got a big lower half. I don't know what he does as far as keeping those legs strong or what he does as far as trying to keep physically strong in order to go out there and pitch and pitch a full season. I don't get the fact that, oh, okay, you know, that he's had the 26 starts. He's not used to that. I think guys should just prepare themselves. Yes, he's not used to it in some ways because over the last couple of years he hasn't pitched. And maybe it's catching up on him because you're starting to see the fastball elevate and he's not having that location and like he used to in that month of July where he had a a fantastic month of July. You're starting to see maybe guys get a little tired. And that's when you work harder. When you come down toward the end of the season, it's not like, oh, I've worked so hard in the first three months that I can kind of dial it back. It's like those last two months, that August, that's why they call it the dog days. You know, that August is when you, when you kick it in even harder. It's like, okay, I, yes, I've been keeping myself in shape, but now i gotta, now I got to grind this through. i got to grind it. And, you know, I don't know what they do now. You know, I'm, I'm not in that locker room or weight room as far as I know things have changed as far as philosophies have changed, just as long with, as philosophies with analytics has changed. That's it's a complete
1: turnaround for what it used to be. Nelly, which manager did you least like playing for?
2: Oh, uh, let's see. Well, as most of my career was with Lou and, and Tory, and they were outstanding. So my least one, I played for Mark Mike Hargrove in and maybe, maybe it had in Seattle in '05, and maybe it had to do with something that he was just trying to get back into baseball or doing whatever, but you know, he managed those great teams in Cleveland. But he had great players. And you would hear stories. We didn't have a great team. I just didn't think didn't think he managed well. I don't think he had the personnel next to him that that was able to help him. Uh, he seemed like a more of a veteran team. He didn't know how to gather the clubhouse. We had more guys rolling dice in in, in the bat boys locker room. Five minutes before the game, then we had guys caring, caring about winning. So I think Mike Hargrove, I don't know if it was the worst, but maybe the most disappointing guy I've played for. And that might have been just later in his career. I may not have anything to do with with how he managed. It's just just the way I thought.
1: Is there something with the rah-rah managers? Now, I look at Luis Rojas as quiet and, and you know, I, I like the fiery guys, but they're saying those are a thing of the past. It's now analytics managers more in tune with the numbers. Was there something about a fiery manager like Lou that pumped you guys up that could turn a losing streak into a winning streak and turn a season around?
2: Well, with Lou, you know, I don't know. He wasn't rah-rah. It was more like, uh, you know, kick you in the ass. You know, it was a... You had to have thick skin, and that's why I always credit him for me having success in New York. I mean, he he really, you can't do that nowadays because guys are too sensitive. I mean, they're just way too sensitive. I, I don't think you'd go up to a player and and talk to him the way Lou Piniella did. Lou Piniella was a guy that pretty much weeded out the weak. You know, if you were a weak player, if you were a weak Thin-skinned guy. And we're talking about Seattle. This wasn't New York. This is Seattle where you have three reporters and all they wanted to do was write great stuff about you. They didn't want to write negative things. The fans, you know, all they were doing, they were Seahawks fans. They were football fans coming to a Mariner game. He weeded out a lot of guys that he knew that weren't going to make it in the big leagues. And he had an uncanny... I guess, ability to be able to do that. If you were thick skinned and you could take his criticism and use it constructively. And that's what I did. You know, I, I was not going to be perfect, but I used his, con- his constructive criticism and I took it out on the mound and I said, you know what? He has my best interest at hand and he wants to try to get everything he can out of me And I got to I got to look at it that way. And he did. And, you know, some guys fell. I mean, we had number one picks in Seattle that would come to the big leagues. They would last a week. Done. We had guys that were and you never saw them in the big leagues again. But he he just uh, you can't do that nowadays. Those guys are too sensitive.
0: Nelly, I got to ask you something about the bullpen, something I'm curious about, because I see guys get heated up sometimes and then they get sat down and they get heated up again. How difficult is that for a reliever to sometimes get heated up two or three times not enter the game and then you have to get back up later in the game if it's if it's going like that and then go into the game. I mean does that affect the way you pitch? I just I see it sometimes and I just wonder what's going through a reliever's mind when that happens.
2: Well, sometimes I wish I would have played in these days because the, you know once most of the time I probably say 90% of the time they're getting up and they're going into the game. What it does it, it wears you down a little bit. It all depends on you have to get used to the first time you get up, you have to know how many pitches it takes for you to get ready. You know, sometimes it'll take 10 or 12. It depends on the weather. If it's hot, then it's not going to take long at all. And you're just loosening up your arm. And you have to gauge as a reliever and, and try to watch watch the game. Watch how it transpires. Uh, If all of a sudden, you know, you know that you're going to have the guy on deck and there's two outs, you know, and all of a sudden you see the starter maybe cruise through that hitter and maybe you take it a little slower. And then once you start getting up multiple times, you know that it's not going to take you long to get ready. So maybe you just throw a couple pitches, and then you're sitting on the mound. And as soon as you see that manager, like uh, it depends. I mean, Joe Joe didn't call to the bullpen until he actually got to the mound. Now Lou called to the bullpen as soon as he stepped out of the dugout. Now he was a little bit different because you knew you had to rapid fire to get ready because he wasn't he wasn't one of those guys that had any kind of patience for for guys uh, getting out of their own jams. Uh, Joe did, but nowadays. You know, you just have to gauge it. You just have to, if you're getting up multiple times, then you have to, you know, take it easy and not throw as well. I mean, there's been times that, for instance, when we played the Mets in game five, I was up five times. And I went from probably throwing 93 to 94 to probably 85 by that last. I was going game six See,
0: that's, if that's I was what coming I, in. that's what I was wondering. I'm, I'm glad I asked you because it's got to be difficult, especially when you're getting up. You're not a starter. I know they have everybody has throw days, but you're getting up every day maybe. And then by the time you actually get into the game, you're, you're worn down. I, I, I just, I had asked that question and just a quick follow-up. One of my favorite scenes, you know, when, when the Field of Dreams game happened, we were talking about baseball movies and the rookie with Dennis Quaid about what was the pitcher's name for the Rays? Morris? Yeah. Yeah. Jim Morris. There you go. But one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when he's he's at home in Arlington and the pitching coach in the bullpen or the, the bullpen coach gets the phone call and says, Morris, you're in. So I'm just curious, you busted your ear end, Nelly to get to the majors. What was it like getting that call in the bullpen the first time to enter a game? Well, you wanted it
2: to happen. It happened in Chicago. And it's funny because uh, I, somebody reached out on me to me on Instagram and was able to, I guess, I don't know what he did with tapes or if he, but he was able to find old footage. And he said, Hey, I have some old footage. And he had, he, I guess he must've worked for some kind of, uh, you know, TV or some whatever. It had old tapes of old sports people. And, and he found my rookie debut against the White Sox. And it was interesting to see here, uh, Harrelson and uh, the for the announcers for Chicago talk but you couldn't wait I mean obviously you waited so long to get the call but you knew that it was going to happen at some point and then when we got called up or anybody got called up you were either if you were a position player you were starting that day and if you were a pitcher you were definitely going to be in that day so I knew it was going to happen you, you just uh, you know you're kind of like on the edge of your seat and wait, couldn't wait I look like a fatty too I look like uh, Jake <laughs> back then
0: you know I had some about- serious
2: baby fat.
0: Real quick, I got to ask you this, too. I, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but when you were on the BP show, w- we showed footage of you when you played left field at Fenway, oh, yeah, of, all, yeah. of all places. So what was that experience like when you were asked to do that for the Mariners, and what was it like being out there? I was a power shagger. Who do we have on? I mean, even Bernie said that I, Mo and I were the best
2: outfielders. We were better than any of the Yankees <laughs> that had I had. I was a guy that, you know, I hated to run, but, you know, you had to do it. But I ran my butt off during batting practice. I used to hate when batting practice was canceled because that was my routine. I would get my outfielder's glove. I would go into left center, and I would go from left field to center field. I would climb the wall. The managers would be pissed off at me. I'd be diving for freaking balls in the outfield. It's just the way I, you know, I I'd come in and I'd be sweating my butt off, and that was my workout. Uh, But so Lou knew I could play the outfield. But you know, I went in and they didn't. uh, Lou didn't trust anybody else in the bullpen, and he called in the left fielder. And it was funny because I ran into the guy that I replaced, Doug Linton, a couple years ago on the plane. Haven't seen him in years. And uh, I said, "Yeah," I said, "Remember the time that I replaced you in left field?" I mean, he was like, he was dumbfounded. He just went, "What?" (laughs) And then Griffey and Buner were laughing their asses off because all of a sudden I'm running out. And, uh, I mean, usually you're shagging flies with turfs. I don't, I had spikes on and I didn't have my outfielder's glove. I'm like, Oh crap. And I got the damn green monster behind me. So it was, uh, you know, Lou was Lou. Just did everything. I mean, if, he, if there wasn't a situation that I didn't come in, I would come in in the middle of counts. I would come in the middle of innings. Uh, you know, we had position players that if they tried bunting, you talk about bunting. I mean, he was a big proponent of bunt. If you didn't bunt and it didn't look good the first the first time, he's calling time out and he's putting somebody else in that could bunt. I mean, he just did everything. I mean, it was just you never just when you thought you saw it all with Lou. You, you, I mean, he was like, wow, he did that. But that's what made him a great manager. I mean, he just did the unthinkable.
1: All right, last one, and we'll wrap up the show here. You had four World Series. Do you remember the craziest celebration? Parade after the parade. I'm sure they got wild. Do you have any funny, amazing story from one of those celebrations?
2: You know, the after parties I can't bring up, uh, especially the one in 2000. But the um, probably the craziest one was we were in San Diego. We went in San Diego in 98. And we had David Keith, who was an actor. He was in the Officer and Gentleman. We had what's is he
0: a Yankee? Charlie Sheen.
2: Yeah, he was a huge Yankee fan. I got to know know him. He was he's a really nice guy. And then Charlie Sheen, who's a Red's fan, he came in our locker room. So we had we had like three or four stars that were in our locker room out there. And I don't know if they, they weren't stealing anything, but they were asking for guys jerseys. They were popping champagne with us. Oh my and, God. Oh, they were doing I me mean, with this thing. They got in and, and it was funny because I, I've met David Keith before and I, maybe it was a couple years before that. And he was, he was a huge Yankee fan. Always. used to come to our games, really nice guy. And, um, you know, it's funny because one time we went out to play an exhibition game against the Dodgers. We played two games and, we would go out and there was a lot. I mean, Scott Bale, remember Scott, Scott Bale was a huge Yankee fan and yeah. he's a, he's, he's, kind of, he's kind of a weirdo though. Little he, bit. he had a little bit of a weirdo. He wanted to come in. I mean, I got to, I got, I met him. We were at some bar out there and I met him and uh, you know, started talking to him and we hung out for a while and he goes, Oh, I'm going to come to the game. He says, you think you can get me in the locker locker room? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. And then he started being a freaking nut case at the end of the night. And the next thing you know, we go. to where at the exhibition game, and they said, "Oh, Scott Baio's out here." He said he's going to let him in the locker room. I'm like, "No way! I mean, <laughs> there's no way! I mean, this guy's a freako." So Chachi, uh, <laughs> Chachi
0: gets denied.
2: <laughs> no, but you know, you get that's the, that's the greatest thing about being a Yankee. I mean, you meet tons and tons of you know, I, I'm starstruck as much as they're probably starstruck about baseball players but you know that's probably the weirdest one when we in 98 we had a few stars that come charlie sheen david keith there's a few of them that came in and celebrated with us
0: yeah i met david keith down in daytona just randomly at a restaurant and he talked to us for a half hour he was a super nice guy yeah he is a really Um, good guy one more really quick, Nellie. I know Jake said this earlier, the wild card. The guys on the team during that uh, Oakland and uh, Angels series all said we're still focused on the division. Tampa doesn't have an easy runway in September. Neither do the Yankees, but I think the division is still in play with the three games left with them. Just real quick, do you think it's still in play and do you think they have a legitimate shot to win the East?
2: Oh, it's always in play because they're mathematically not out and anything can happen. They just proved how many games they can make up just in that month month time when they started their 13-game winning streak as far as getting into the wild card. Now, they didn't make up any games against the Rays. The Rays do have a tough schedule. I think it's it's a really steep hill for the Yankees to win the East, and I don't know if those three games at the end of the year, you kind of hope so. You kind of hope they're one game out or maybe one game ahead going into those last three days against the Rays. I don't see it happening, But I I think over the last, if you look at July, you really can't put it past. Or in August, you can't. In August, you can't really put it past the uh, Yankees to try to make up ground. They've already done it before. So, you you know, by saying no, there's no shot. I I think you can't say that. I mean, but as far as steep hill, and most likely not going to happen, I I would say that. But I don't think it's you can put it past them.
0: Uh, Jake, I I seem to remember a team in the early 2000s that had a seven-game lead in September and lost it. I will That'll say there's probably a better
1: chance of
0: <laughs> there's probably
2: a better percentage that the Yankees have to win the East than the Mets have to get in the playoffs.
1: That's false. We're only five go. back. It's not ten. We're five. You know, seven and seventeen happened. So now it's five and thirty. So there you go. I love Nellie stirring the pot. <laughs>
0: That says goodnight to episode 83, the Davey Garcia edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for producing the show. Go on to Apple Podcasts right now. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a positive review. We do appreciate it. You can also find us on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Shearn. We're back on Monday following the Yankees series in the Bronx with the Orioles. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. And thanks for listening to the pinstripe pod.